So welcome to our Ask a Professional show today. Today I've got a whole group with me, which is really awesome. Super excited about it. We have Larry Mazio back. He's a Phelps Health audiologist. Um, so welcome back, Dr. Mazio. Thank you. Super excited to have you here today. And you brought a couple of people along with you. So we've got Madison and Brooke. Um, Madison, I'll have you kick us off. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Madison Stone. I am a second year audiology student at Missouri State University and I am with Dr. Mazio this semester for my off-site clinical placement. Awesome. We're super excited to have you and one of our veterans, Brooke, has been on our show before. <laughs> Brooke, go ahead and reintroduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Brooke. I am a fourth year audiology mm -hmm. student and I am with Dr. Mazio for my residency year every day. So we spend a lot of time <laughs> together. Yeah, you can't see it, but they're looking at each other. You can tell they've got a really great relationship. <laughs> so Dr. Mazio, um, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and reintroduce yourself. I know a lot of people in the community already love you, know you, but just, just for me. <laughs> well, they probably know my wife, Kathy Mazio, more yep. than they know me with all that she's so musically inclined. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I've really been in the I've been in the community since 1998 mm -hmm. um, and have been with Phelps Health for several years. And with uh, Judy Ann Krenning, we both came from Springfield, Illinois, where we were working at um, SIU School of Medicine, or she was going to school there. Mm -hmm. I was working there as clinical faculty. Just kind of made our way to Rolla, Very you know, cool. since then. <clears throat> and I, I've been here then and since then. And I think I plan on staying here till I retire, so. Hey, you and me both, I love it. <laughs> so we're definitely gonna have you back on the show then. So today we're talking kind of about all things audiology and we've got a ton of questions today, so I'm gonna do it a little bit different. We might do some rapid fire questions where um, I have you guys answer and then we'll go back through it if we have time and answer uh, maybe in more detail some of the other questions. So just to kick us off, what is an audiologist? What is an audiologist? Well, an audiologist is a, is a professional who specializes in hearing. Uh, we will do all diagnostic examinations of patients from infant to adult. Um, we specialize not only in hearing, but balance as well. Um, it encompasses um, uh, um, counseling uh, on top of our clinical experience. So we have to educate our patients on, you know, how to maintain, protect their hearing, noise protection, fitting noise protection. So it's more than just sitting behind a, a piece of equipment and asking the patient if they can hear a sound. It's much more detailed than that. So so kind of following along with that, Brooke, now I want to ask you a question. What is the profession of audiology? You're a fourth year student. So what are some of the qualifications and training that um, audiologists have to complete in really order to practice like what Dr. Mazio does? Yeah, so audiology, the, the degree, it's a doctorate of audiology. Mm -hmm. And so it's four years postgraduate. The first three years, it's all academic. Um, you're you're at school. You're taking classes. You go to some offsite placements, similar to what Madison is doing mm -hmm. right now. Um, but for the most part, you're you're at the school. And then in your fourth year, that's when you'll um, kind of go off, and it could be anywhere across the country, and you'll complete a residency or an internship year. And then after that, um, you have to be licensed mm -hmm. and you have to pass kind of a, a board exam of praxis. And then um, you, you would be at that point able to be employed at, as an audiologist. So whenever you're able to start practicing Let's talk about some of the services that we might provide as well. So I know at Phelps Health, we have a, a slew of services that we can provide as far as audiology is concerned. Dr. Mazio, would you be able to touch on that? Well, besides the basic hearing evaluations, mm -hmm. which, and again, of all ages, we would evaluate patients for dizziness or balance. Um, of course, assess for hearing aids and fitting hearing aids. Um, 
there would be patients. We even go into the operating room with mm -hmm. some patients where if the ear, nose, and throat physician is putting tubes or if this patient cannot be tested in a traditional way, we would evaluate their hearing while they're under general anesthesia. And there are methods to it, and we can explain in detail later if you want. Um, of course, monitoring noise, fitting um, for um, sound protection. Gosh, we've gone out into the schools and done hearing screenings. We have uh, um, con continually worked with other physicians in um, in um, like co-leadership roles in the community, mm -hmm. um, similar to what we're doing here, but even with other students and going out to different universities and lecturing and talking, et cetera. So there's a lot, we do a lot of different things other than just stay in the clinic. We like to get out into the community. Yeah, just well. like you yeah. are today. You guys stay Correct. very busy. I know that. <laughs> so, um, Brooke, I've got a question for you as well. Why would uh, maybe a provider, so like a primary care or somebody's like family medicine physician, why would they send them to an audiologist? Yeah, I think the the main thing would be hearing loss. So mm -hmm. having trouble communicating, having trouble mm -hmm. hearing, you know, their spouse, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I would also say if they're having um, some issues with maybe dizziness or balance issues, sometimes they'll send it to us so we can do some further testing on that as well. Um, as far as, you know, kids or even adults, anyone with maybe an ear infection, it would be medically treated by their mm -hmm. physician, but then a lot of times they'll send to us for mm -hmm. um, a hearing test to see, just make sure that their hearing hasn't changed throughout that process of getting treated for their infection. In the pediatric population, I think it's, it's really important because a lot of the pediatricians will refer to us because you know, their patient has, has had repeated ear infections or their speech is delayed or their speech and language development is delayed. They want, they want to know, is, is it because of a hearing loss or could it be from something else? So a lot of times we work in coordination with the, the pediatrician, the family practice physician, internal medicine, or otolaryngology. So we work as a team. So I've got kind of a follow-up question to that. You mentioned pediatrics. What are some of the most common issues that you just see patients for across the board? Because it sounds like that might be one of the more popular ones. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely in the pediatric population, yeah. it's going to be ear infections, mm -hmm. history of otitis media or fluid in the ears, speech language delay, um, overall developmental delay. So if a child might have the characteristics of autism or other handicapping condition like that, and they want to rule out hearing loss as a possible communication problem, they would come to us. And in some of those cases, like I said, if we cannot test them traditionally, we have to do sedated testing. And that's when we work in coordination with the um, uh, ear, nose, and throat physician for that. We have There's a system we have set up mm -hmm. at Phelps Health. We're working with ENT in the hospital in our division. Yeah, it's a whole care team, mm -hmm. right? Correct. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Maddie, I'm going to throw a question at you. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. How can someone know if they have hearing loss? And, you know, we're not just talking about, like, husbands who maybe don't hear their wives. <laughs> yeah, so a common complaint was that they'll think that other people are mumbling. Just about anyone is mumbling when they're speaking to mm -hmm. them. If they have to ask someone to re constantly repeat what they said and they say, huh, what, whenever they're mm -hmm. communicating with others. Um yeah, that kind of makes me laugh because I'm thinking about my conversation with my husband last night. <laughs> Sounds like that. Maybe he should go get checked out. Well, they have, I think a lot of patients um, who, who truly have yes. bona fide uh -huh. hearing loss, they're, yeah. one of the, the, the biggest complaints is going to be hearing in a background of noise. Mm -hmm. And that has specific, that deals specifically with 
the, the, the type and degree and slope mm -hmm. of their hearing loss, which of course we diagnose all yeah. of that and make our recommendations for them for that. Well, that's just such a big complaint that we hear from patients mm -hmm. all the time. Difficulty hearing and noise. Yeah, and another one I hear is they can hear that someone is talking to them, but mm -hmm. just maybe can't make out the details of what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Maybe more of a clarity issue than a volume issue, mm -hmm. um, which people don't a lot of times think of, but it, it's another common complaint we right. hear. So let's say that people have these types of issues and maybe they're ongoing, maybe they just happen. How often should they be checked for hearing loss? Brooke, I'm going to toss that one to you. Yeah, um, it kind of depends on the person, mm -hmm. but I would say our general recommendation would be as needed. Correct. Um, if they, you know, if they're noticing a change in their hearing, they notice maybe they just can't hear like they used to, even if they've been, you know, checked before, it's a good idea to, to ask your physician to refer you to audiology mm -hmm. and, and we'll test you for that. Um, if someone is maybe on certain medication, ototoxic medication that could damage their hearing, then they would want to come in more often. And a lot of times we will monitor patients who are receiving chemo mm -hmm. or other treatments like that. We'll work with the oncologist, you know, specifically with that. So what are some of the types of things that maybe cause hearing loss? Is it just associated with old age? Because you also, again, mentioned pediatrics. So it's not just an age factor, right? No, it's not just an age factor. I mean, it's I, I don't think I can count it on both my hands mm -hmm. other than heredity, um, illness, noise exposure, um, oh gosh, head trauma, any type of trauma, um, cancer, chemo, diabetes. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, the list can go on for the causes of hearing loss. Even just fluid in the ears. Kids who've gotten large mm -hmm. tonsils and adenoids will have issues with the function of their eustachian tubes and that's going to cause them to get fluid in their ear, which is going to cause hearing loss for them, uh, conductive hearing loss. And so again, that's a medically treatable condition, but the list, I mean, gosh, goes on. Noise exposure, is, as we've mm -hmm. said, is a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. So Maddie, as a first year student, what are some of the things that um, you've seen people come in for that maybe have caused hearing loss for them? The big one I feel would be aging. Um, people are genetically predisposed to hearing loss. Um, but like Dr. Fazio said, it could be ear infections, mm -hmm. head trauma, cancer treatments, mm -hmm. noise exposure is another one we need to make sure we're yeah. doing Yeah, a concerts, good job. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the individuals that work around noise specifically, mm -hmm. specifically, you know, laborers who are exposed mm -hmm. to heavy equipment. On a daily basis. Exactly. Um, people who, who, who work in like the gardening profession, the home maintenance profession, you're exposed to loud tools all the time if you're not using hearing protection consistently, you run the risk of having a specific type of hearing loss from mm -hmm. that. So. Absolutely. So what are the different um, degrees of hearing loss? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, and, and if, so we're not zooming it with a video, so I yeah. can just kind of explain that there's different degrees of hearing loss. And I, I don't want to tell you by percent because that's mm -hmm. really not a great way to describe it. But your hearing can be normal. You can have a mild hearing loss. You can have a moderate hearing loss where it drops down enough to the point where it starts to cause a few uh, more problems than just a mild mm -hmm. loss. Moderately severe, moderate, and then severe when it really involves a, 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 a lot of trouble sensing what's going on in the environment, um, including nature sounds, you know. And then, of course, profound is, is quite a bit of hearing loss to where there is so much loss. Sometimes even hearing aids cannot help that individual. Mm -hmm. We have to look for a different type of rehabilitative intervention for them. So that kind of brings me to my next question. Is hearing loss always permanent? So not necessarily. So um, 
it kind of depends on what structures in the auditory system are involved. Mm -hmm. So if I just were to give you an example, say someone has a lot of wax in their ears and they're, they're having trouble hearing due to that cerumen that's mm -hmm. impacted in their ears, a, a physician could just take that wax out and then it would be better. But if, you know, someone has a history of noise exposure and has auditory damage due to mm -hmm. that, that's more of a type that we typically see that's permanent, a, a permanent type of hearing loss. So for, for that question, it really just depends on that. So kind of along the lines of it just depends, can audiologists determine if hearing loss will worsen over time? So let's say somebody's just got mild to moderate um, hearing loss. How are you able to tell, oh, this is going to get a lot worse or we can fix this? Well, if it's hereditary, you know, and, and a lot of times I'll see this with my patients who I have seen over, over the course of time, mm -hmm. there's been gradual changes in their hearing gets worse and worse and worse. There are certain conditions of the ear where you can expect it to get worse over time as well. Um, but, you know, it, we, we just don't know the future, you know, but we can make predictions based on if this person is receiving chemo. We can almost always, and we know that that medication is ototoxic, we know that they're going to start having hearing loss, mostly in the higher frequencies, and we want to track that and monitor that. But sometimes we can, we can make that determination based on the pathology, but other times we just don't know, and we wouldn't know until we actually test them because it's come up either at a physician appointment or they come to us directly and are inquiring about that. Maddie, I think this is interesting too, and I'd love for you to answer this one. Do both ears have the same hearing loss? So if somebody comes in and they say, oh, well, I really can't hear on my right side, does that mean that their left side maybe isn't experiencing the same type of loss? So generally we expect people to have about the same amount of hearing loss in both ears. I mean, our ears are on our on the same body and you're walking around exposed to the same type of elements but there is a percentage of the population that if it's due to a tumor or a certain loud noise on one side it can be a unilateral loss or have more significant damage on one side um, a lot of times people will come in and they will have an ear that they have a preference to and so sometimes it can be boiled down to perception as well even if their hearing's about the same on both ears, they think it's worse in one. I think it's interesting that you mentioned unilateral. Brooke, are there different types of hearing loss where it's not just affecting one part of your body or one side of your body? Yeah, so it, there's different ways we classify uh -huh. hearing loss. One would be, is it symmetrical? Is it the same in both ears? Mm -hmm. Or is it in one ear and maybe not the other? There's also, and I kind of talked about this a little bit before, it also depends on what part of the auditory system is affected. So if it's something in the middle ear, the outer ear, things that sometimes can be kind of medically treated, it would be called a conductive loss. And then if it's in the sensory part or kind of deep in the inner ear or the nerve, then we would call that sensory neural. And that, those are usually the more permanent type hearing losses. And then you could also have a combination of both, which we would call a mixed loss. So there, there's all sorts of different configurations and, and types of hearing loss that, that you could have based on that. And the only way we can determine that is to actually have them uh, mm -hmm. perform the audiogram on the patient. Because the equipment we have will determine what part of the auditory system mm -hmm. is affected. 
which again is why it's so important to make sure that you go in, you have a primary care established and they can refer you or you guys can go in and you can say, hey, this is what we're, we're seeing. Let's run some tests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't wait until it's too too long, right? So one of the things that I think is really interesting is that hearing loss can affect um, children. What does that look like? Is it the same for people who are older? Well, you have to understand that when, when as an older person, you know, uh, can can um, communicate to you what issues and problems mm -hmm. they're having. Whereas if they're much younger, what are they going to do but maybe tug mm -hmm. at their ears? Their parents might say, you know, they've been, you know, a lot of drainage. They've been coughing and sneezing, you know. So when it affects children, you know, the cues usually come from the physician or the parent. And then when it comes to us from the referral, we make that determination. I wonder if we're dealing with fluid. I wonder if we're dealing with mm -hmm. hearing loss that was um, you know that 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 they were born with hereditary hearing loss, um, and and it's going to affect children differently because they are at that critical speech and language development age. The young ones, you know, a year, year and a half, two years, three years. So if they're deprived of auditory stimulation, that could delay their progression of speech and language development. So we're going to jump around just a second. Um, how does an infant tell you they can hear? Because there's a law where you have to do this test, right? Mm -hmm. That's you. Um, yeah, so newborns, every newborn in the United States has to be tested. It's a newborn hearing screening program. Mm -hmm. And so obviously they can't raise their hand and say, you know, oh, I hear that sound. Mm -hmm. So there's other methods that um, the, the staff at the hospital would use. And we, a lot of times, will do it if, you know, the infant needs to be rescreened. And so there's a couple different methods. Um, one is you kind of put a probe in their ear and you're just checking for the health of the inner ear and the inner ear system. Another um, type that we will do a lot is called an auditory brainstem response. And so we would put actual electrodes on the infant mm -hmm. and we would be measuring the health of their auditory system that way. So how do you determine their level of health? Like, like at what point in this test do you say, okay, we need to do further evaluation? Right. So there's something called screening and then a screening level and a diagnostic mm -hmm. level. So when they're born and they, and they have a newborn hearing screening, the sound that's presented to their ear via whatever method, you know, it's a certain level. And if they pass it, then they pass it. If they don't, then they're a lot of times referred to us. And at that point, mm -hmm. we're going to do a more diagnostic test where we're actually, we will actually look for threshold auditory sensitivity. Okay. So, you know, they're not responding. They're not, like Brooke said, they're not telling us anything. The electrodes, and we put uh, earplugs in the ear, which deliver the sound, and we're measuring that electrical potential that's coming from their brainstem. Mm -hmm. And it's letting us know if the system is active. And, it, and it's um, responding to that sound. Think about it like an EEG for mm -hmm. your ears. It's very, very similar to that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just do like a little, a little scenario. Let's say that there is a child or maybe an older adult that comes in and you find that their auditory issues are enough that they need hearing aids. How does an audiologist differ than a person that just fits and sells them? Um, the difference is going to be in education. Mm -hmm. Okay, the premise of fitting hearing aids should yeah. be the same, whether you're a hearing mm -hmm. aid dispenser or an audiologist. But the level of education will separate us, and that means that the techniques you're going to do to fit the hearing aids may be different between someone who's specifically a hearing aid dispenser or someone who is an audiologist and a hearing aid dispenser. It would be nice that it could all be the same, but it's different out there for for everybody. Now, for our clinic specifically, 
you, you know, our, our education separates us from, from them. And then the technique we use to fit the hearing aids is very scientifically based. It's, it's very prescriptive based and it's very um, counseling based with our patients mm -hmm. too. So it's very interactive with everything. And when, when we ask patients to, you know, go through the process of the fitting, it, it's not just us putting it in their ear and saying, how does that sound? It's much, much more detailed than that. Yeah, Brooke, let's get into that for a little bit. How are hearing aids chosen and does ear shape matter? Because I'm looking at everybody here and we all have a completely different ear shape. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, hearing aids are chosen kind of based on two things. Mm -hmm. One being the degree and kind of hearing loss that mm -hmm. someone would have. And then the other thing would be the patient preference because that matters as well if you're going to be wearing something all the time you want to make sure that mm -hmm. you like it as well um but the ultimate deciding factor would probably be more your hearing loss than than that um sometimes the anatomy of the ear is yeah. going to dictate what mm -hmm. you can put mm -hmm. on that patient if they're if their ears are extremely small and the canals are very narrow there's only so much so many electronics that you can fit into a mm -hmm. shell to put in their ear so you might have to try a, a, a different configuration, maybe the part that, a piece that fits behind the ear and then something smaller that will go in the ear. So, you know, anatomy yeah. plays a big part of it too. And, and for us too, we have a lot of patients that will wear custom mm -hmm. devices or at least a custom earpiece that maybe connects to a mm -hmm. bigger hearing aid that goes behind their ear. And patients sometimes that have a more difficult ear to fit, whether it's narrow or whether, you know, they just are having trouble with the more generic mm -hmm. type of um, ear pieces that go yeah. in the ear. A lot of times the custom fit really helps them out. Mm -hmm. We talk about bit. custom fit. We're talking about hearing aids that just all fit inside the ear. And you, a lot of times you'll see them Sometimes they're smaller and they'll go deep, deeper down to the canal. Other times you'll see hearing aids that fit behind the ear. And the, the technology has come so far forward over time. Those are really less visible than anything that fits all in the ear and is more visible. The deeper down it goes into the ear, you're going to lose certain hearing aid features. But that's for a, a different topic for mm -hmm. another day. So I, I think the thought in the past that, you know, hearing aids are real visible. If they fit behind the ear, that's just not true. It, it, it's not like that anymore at all. Yes. Well, and I love listening to this conversation because it's not that everybody's ears are good ears, right? So just because you don't have a one size fits all doesn't mean that there is a problem with your ears just because maybe they're smaller or maybe they're mm -hmm. bigger because now we have custom fit, which is really cool. I remember um, whenever my Nini, that was my grandmother, whenever she got hearing aids, this is going to sound really crazy. She got this toy out of a, a like a cereal box mm -hmm. and she used that as her hearing aid. And we've come <laughs> so much further than that. So what I, kind of cereal? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. It was like some kid's little like radio, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like a little radio thing. Um, so I we've got a couple of minutes left. So I want to ask a couple more questions. How can we keep our ears healthy and our ear problems hereditary? I think that's something really important to talk about. We've only got one set of ears. Yeah, of course. So one thing would be if you, you know, certain patients maybe are predisposed to have mm -hmm. sort of um, wax buildup. Mm -hmm. And so talking to your physician and developing a plan to get that cleaned regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, and if, it, that is a, 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 it's a very mild surgical procedure yeah. to have the wax removed mm -hmm. from the ear. Sometimes mm -hmm. the primary care physician feels comfortable doing it. Other times they're going to refer to the ENT because they need a microscope and other types of tools to remove that wax mm -hmm. from the ear. 
Yeah, absolutely. So one more quick question before we wrap up, and this is probably one of the most important ones. How can someone schedule an appointment with an audiologist? And can someone see an audiologist without a referral from their provider? There are certain um, uh, insurances that will require it, Medicare, certain government mm -hmm. insurance like TRICARE. Um, but if you have third-party insurance, um, I can give you an example, United Healthcare yeah. or Blue Cross Blue Shield, you can schedule an appointment with us, 364-5719, that gets you right to the um, audiology and ENT division, and that's what you can do. Awesome. I love that. So today we've been speaking with Dr. Larry Mazio, uh, Brooke, and Maddie, and thank you all so much for being here today. You all are a wealth of knowledge, and we love having you on our show. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.